Hey guys, just before we begin this podcast, uh, the torrential rain has hit Sydney again. And whenever this happens, it really uh, screws up my internet. So while we were recording this one, there were uh, a few little technical mishaps. We cut out once or twice, and I'm pretty confident it's all been pieced together pretty well. But if there are a few awkward moments, it's because of the torrential rain and the bloody NBN. So uh, apologies in advance, but uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy the podcast anyhow. All right, enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sex Sales Podcast, the podcast where a comedian talks to a relationship therapist about dating, relationships, culture in the modern world. Uh, Today, we're talking about perfect families. What makes a perfect family? What even is a perfect family? Is there such a thing as the perfect family? Basically, the catalyst for this was I was thinking about, uh, you know, the kids I went to school with, both primary and, and high school. And there was always one person or, or, or usually just a group of siblings in every school that everyone knew as the quote-unquote perfect family. So they were high achievers. They were often very confident. People liked them. The family had a very nice house and they weren't necessarily rich. They weren't, it wasn't just necessarily, um, you know, they were financially better off, but they just had that Flanders vibe to them without even being as cheesy as as Flanders. So I'd just be interested to do a podcast unpacking that and maybe um, deciphering what sort of behaviors or norms uh, new parents could employ to to try and foster that sort of a family and and create that. So uh, we're going to talk about that. Eliza, you're uh, eight months. No, sorry, you're you're seven months along now. How's it going? No, eight months. You are eight months. eight months. Okay, how's it all going? (laughs) Great, great. Um, by the time this podcast comes out, I'll probably be like one week off going on my mat leave. Um, so that'll be good. And then I'll just have five weeks left. Wait for baby. Oh, good on you. So I'm, Committing I'm to excited. This. Yeah. yeah, every day feels like a year um, to me at the moment. So <laughs> I just can't wait to give birth. Get it out. <laughs> but yeah, literally. Get it out of you. Like the <laughs> yeah. little alien. Yeah, pretty much. Um, But yeah, how are you? Yeah, I'm pretty good. Um, Any babies on the way? No, not that I know of. Uh, So uh, yeah, probably not for another few years at least. And uh, Mm. no, just just the cat. And she's put on a bit of weight, actually. She's put on a bit of winter. What do they call it? Winter fur. So I've tried to put her on a a diet. Um, And I've got that little, you know, that little thing that people have for cats with with the feathers at the end and it's like a wand and you wave it around. Yeah. So I've been doing that. But it's so boring. But apparently. To try exercise it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, try to emulate the conditions of the wild. So before I actually feed her, I make her kind of go after the little fluffy thing for 20 minutes. And then I'm like, hey, look, here's some food because that's what it would be like in in the wild. So uh, trying trying to toughen her up a little bit. But. You know what, she's still, uh, I think she's just too nice and cuddly for that. Uh, but yeah, Aww. other than that, pretty pretty standard. Um, we're filming this on a Monday. I didn't really do much on the weekend. In fact, I just kind of just worked on the weekend because just went on a holiday. So catching up from that. So, yeah. No work on the weekends, everyone. Yeah, Shame on you. Depends, depends. <laughs> if you work for yourself, the work never ends. So, but I like it. I, I like uh, I like working. I don't, I don't like doing nothing. 
I, I, I end up just, uh, like I told you before the podcast, I end up just doing really unhealthy things, just uh, vegging out a bit too much and eating a bit too much and being a sloth. So uh, I prefer having at least two hours or three hours of things to do on the weekends. Are you like that at all? Or, no, you seem like the sort of person that can just take a few days off and actually just do nothing in an enjoyable way. Yeah. Uh, yesterday, I walked 49 steps in nice. the whole day. So I literally, I mean, I'm pregnant, so I guess I could have a little bit of an excuse, but I was in bed the whole day with my dog watching TV. Adrian made me breakfast, lunch, snacks, and dinner. <laughs> just wow. kept bringing it to me. So I was living the life. It was good. Um, so yeah, I love my lazy days, but you're very type A and I'm very type B. Like, I wish I was more like you and disciplined and was like, I gotta do this, I gotta do that. I will procrastinate and put anything off if I don't feel like it, which I hate about myself, but working on it. (laughs) I still procrastinate and I still, I have days where I'm not as productive as I'd like to be, but then I feel very guilty about it, which is, which is actually, which is bad. So I'm trying to not feel guilty about it when I don't. Uh, do the things that I've set out to do. But anyway, standard millennial conundrum. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> but let's, uh, let's talk about some, uh, some perfect families. But uh, before we do that, um, just going to mention the sponsors of this podcast. You can skip through this if you'd like, but these sponsors help us out a lot. So we'd definitely appreciate it if you listen through. Our first sponsor is Steady Freddy. Steady Freddy have a wide range of men's sexual health products. They are most well-known for their delay spray. So if you suffer from premature ejaculation, use some of that delay spray and uh, you won't suffer from it anymore. And, and premature ejaculation isn't just for guys who come in 30 seconds. If you, if you want to last for 15 minutes when you're usually lasting for 10 minutes or something like that, this spray would be perfect for you as well. So uh, there's a wide range of uses for this spray. It's a uh, formulated by Dr. David Reiner. It's all natural ingredients. They also have ball boost tablets, condoms, wet wipes. So go to steadyfreddy.com, use the code SEXCELLS, and you will get 15% off. That's pretty good. So steadyfreddy.com, use the code SEXCELLS. We're also sponsored by Crush Organics. Uh, Crush Organics have a huge range of CBD oil and CBD oil products. So uh, if you would like to try some of that, uh, go to crushorganics.com, that's crush with a K, and use the code NEIL, you get 40% off. I've been using the oils now for over a year, and it has been amazing for my sleep, it's been amazing for my mood, for my stress levels, for everything. So go ahead and try some of their CBD oil. They've got specific oil for nighttime, they've got platinum oil, diamond oil, different uh, uh, levels of intensity, tailor-made for you, if you haven't done it before, just start off with one or two drops. As always, use the label, uh, read the labels, use only as directed, but go to crushorganics.com and use the code NEIL for 40% off. And of course, if you'd like to send in a question, a topic, or a shout out to this podcast, go to neilcolhatkin.com slash podcasts. And uh, all the money from those subscriptions will go straight to the Life You Can Save charity. And of course, come see me live, comedyuntamed.com. Come see myself and a bunch of other comedians live. Uh, we're performing in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Newcastle, and Perth will be announced soon. And Wollongong is also on the cards very soon. So with all that out of the way, let's talk about perfect families. 
Did you ever, was there a family like that at your school, Eliza, that everyone just thought was, oh, they're just the perfect family? Do you know what? Not really. Because, well, I think to outsiders, yes. But what was interesting, you know, I think being a girl um, yeah. and the nature of girls gossiping is that all the families that looked really perfect and the high achiever girls often had like really severe eating disorders mm. or like depression, anxiety. Um, so I don't think I see, saw it as much then, but then again, I was a teenager, probably wasn't paying attention to it. But definitely now working with kids, I have some clients that are that literally that perfect family, ideal high achievers, like top of the whole year, top of the school and things. So it's pretty um, interesting to see, yeah. What about you? Yeah, uh, there were definitely some textbook cases of uh, families where the, both the kids were extraordinarily high achievers and very well behaved, also just great at sport. Uh, one comes to mind, the girl was the school captain of our grade in high school and she had a brother who played rep rugby league and, and an older sister who did law and, and, and they're just, you know, they're also just quite popular and just seemed to do everything right. And yeah, I just really wonder um, where do those families come from? You know, did, were, those, were the parents raised in a certain way that brought that about in the way they raised their children? Or is it just chance? It, it doesn't seem like it's chance if, if all the siblings seem to be high achievers and, and well behaved. I, I doubt that it's chance. It seems to me that it's something in the parenting. It, it, I mean, it could be genetic. It could be. Uh, it, it could be cultural upbringing and, and even sort of the financial circumstances. But as you say, there's there's also plenty of cases of people who've grown up in, in you know, wealthy households or well-off households. And there's plenty of dysfunction in those families as, as well. And, you know, in a country like Australia, there's not, uh, even if you're sort of working class, you tend to still have, you know, you have food on the table and it's not, it's not like other countries. So, yeah, I just really wonder... Um, where that kind of Flanders perfect family comes from. Um, I don't think my family was like that. Uh, not to say that there was anything bad or, or, or anything, but uh, no, it wasn't that sort of, what do they call it? What's that show that people always talk about when they when they talk about just perfect suburbia? Is like it, white picket fence families? Yeah, Is like that, that kind of thing. The yeah. white picket fence, perfect yeah. nuclear Aussie family. Yeah. Um, Let's start, I guess, with the parents. Do you, do you think there's any kind of pattern in, in the sorts of parents that tend to, tend to create those families? Or, am I, yes. or do you think I'm just projecting here and, and, there, and there's no such thing as perfect families and, and maybe there were just some families that were stereotypically perfect, but yet potentially behind closed doors, they, they were quite dysfunctional. However, that, that, that's definitely a trope, although I don't know if that's always the case. I know... Uh, yeah, I don't think it is always the case. I have worked with, in the nature of my work, being um, kids in foster care a lot. And I, there's a couple of families I have that are literally outliers to the rest of children in care. And they are literally perfect families. One girl is, um, she's like a young teen and she has the saddest, most horrific childhood upbringing probably the worst in the state or one of the worst in the state in terms of um childhood abuse and what happened to her but she went to a family 
And since being with them, she went at a very young age, like seven. And since being with them has become um, top of her school in multiple subjects. Actually, in her year, she's a top in every single subject that she does. She's in year eight. And she's also competed all around Australia. I won't say which sports, but there's two sports. Um, And she's just like... Crazy. Oh, and not only is she like the best at the sport and she wins all the sportsmanship, she's the best in all of her subjects and does all these crazy gifted child things. She also is like an insane artist. <laughs> and she's this- very beautiful as well, like physically beautiful. <laughs> so what, it's... Um, what makes someone like that? Is it just genetics? <laughs> is it just chance, luck? Or is it a, a particular work ethic? Or did, so well, you said she came from the foster system, yeah? So yeah. That sort of well, defies maybe... The, the assumption that for someone to be like that, they'd need those kind of perfect picket fence parents. So she's the perfect example of someone who hasn't had that and has managed to overcome that. So do you think it's just some people are inherently like that or, or do you think there are other factors that contribute? Well, I don't think it was genetics because her birth family weren't, um, definitely did not have that same level of achievement as she did. Um, and they were, you know, in and out of jail themselves some whole lives, really struggling, etc. But with the foster family she was with, the foster family has their own biological children. And they are also, they're adults now, but they were also like top of the year and everything, like 99 ATARs, crazy high achievers as well. So I think it was definitely the environment that she was being brought up with since the age of seven. Um, So mainly the foster carers and the carers um, I had to, in the nature of my role, I had to be really, it's almost quite invasive being there all the time in the house, assessing how things are going. And these carers are lovely, lovely people. They had great sense of humors. They were really charming. Um, Mum worked in, the foster mum worked in education, which I thought was kind of interesting because that my other high achiever family, the mum also works in education. So I think that they knew a lot. But I think what it really came down to for for the um, family was just they had such a respect. The kids have such a respect for their parents. Um, and I have another family as well that took into sibling gr- groups, or as one sibling group of two um, into foster care and... They also have biological children, exact same thing, like top of the year in everything. And these girls um, have been living with their foster parents since they were two. So they've been there almost their entire life. And their other biological children, also high achievers. And it's the same thing. The kids highly, highly respect their parents. It was like they have a really good relationship mom and dad and sit them down and talk them through everything, saying the reason we're not allowing you to do this is because... We don't think this is safe. Do you agree with this? And the kids would always be completely on board. And that being said, I don't think it's, I know a lot of people listening to this would be like, oh, you know, foster kids, there's a cliche that they go into a house and they're really grateful. They're like, wow, my first bedroom. It's never actually like that. Um, So I don't think it's like that. I also work with kids outside of the foster care system and some of which are high achievers. Um, also same thing it's the relationship they have with their parents and the agreement that they have on everything the rules the boundaries how much study they should do and what they want to commit their time to so it's it was insane because I would look at them and be like god how can you do this they're at school five days a week they're at sports four afternoons a week and then two 
you know, Saturday all day. And then they've got tutoring three times a week. Like, how are you burning out? So it'll be interesting to see how they are as adults. (laughs) But I'm sure they will continue on with their success based on, you know, the biological children that um, these carers have are adults and doing really well for themselves as well. So super interesting, yeah. Okay, so what is it about that sort of a relationship with parents that one makes a child want to become that kind of a high achiever but also how do you even create that relationship with your kids because i'm sure a lot of parents would think well i wish my kids were like that i've i've tried to set boundaries i've tried to give them a sort of you know pseudo contract as to how much they have to study and and what sort of rewards they would get but plenty of kids are rebellious and you know, have great parents, but end up going through a phase where they they party a lot or they smoke weed or whatever it may be. So what is it about those kind of parents that um, do such a good job? Is it just that they kind of combine rewards with restrictions well, where some parents are just too much on the reward side and, and almost overbearing with the love and some parents are way too restrictive and that causes the kids that want to rebel and, and, and you kind of have to have that ideal uh, middle ground? Is it is that kind of what it is? And is that sort of emulated through the way that the parents show love for each other? So uh, a couple that maybe has a bit more of a toxic love style will end up having a bit more of a toxic parenting style. So if if the parents have a very mature and, and, and healthy love style and can set boundaries well with each other and communicate well and understand their responsibilities that generally rubs off onto the children or is it still a matter of chance there what 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 do you think it is yeah it's a bit of um everything and i think that it kind of comes down to our values that what our parents value as younger children is often we share the same values as our parents. Um, Like one of those families I work with where the girls are crazy high achievers, they're also extremely religious. And every year I would give all the families I work with presents and stuff like that. And they would always say to me like, oh, could you donate my presents? Like, could you give it away? And I'd be like, what 11 year old girl wants me to give away (laughs) Christmas presents? And they weren't necessarily wealthy. Like, it's not like they had everything. So, um, but they were super religious and I would always go in and be like, so how's everything going? How are you feeling? And they would have these responses and be like, oh, you know, I'm just really grateful. And Jesus looks out for me. And I'd be like, just, this is not like any other child. I was working with. So I think that, you know, that value shared within that family was very strong. And there's also kind of brings back a memory of this episode of, um, do you remember the show, The Wife Swap? Yeah, yeah, that was Where, a good like, show. Where like wife, <laughs> they swap families. Um, yeah, one wife goes into one family and a wife that has like the polar opposite family will go into our family. And basically they do one week of their family fought like their sit-in families rule in one week of their own rules and I remember an episode of one family and these kids were so so crazy high achievers but to the point where you, when you're watching it you're like you're feeling sorry for these kids because the parents were militant like they were very much like 6 a.m boxing session seven o'clock protein smoothie <laughs> uh eight o'clock family walk <laughs> Uh, nine o'clock set goals, that kind of like (laughs) every minute of their day 
was set out in routine and the parents were saying like, this is how we function. This is how we get everything done. The kids enjoy it and watching it, you can just as the audience, you're like, oh my God, I'm so excited for this other hippie mum to go in who was like, I'm going to let the kids do what they want. I'm going to let them decide what they want to do. And what ended up happening was the kids came in with a new mum. They did what they wanted for like a day. And then afterwards, they wanted that routine again. They wanted to be putting things in place. They wanted to do their scheduling. They wanted to be doing their homework. They were choosing for it because it was just so habitual to them that they had learned the value in that because it had been instilled into them. It's almost like, you know, when we think of cults and how, how do people get persuaded into doing these crazy things because they've been developed and grown up or taught to believe that this is the best way you can live your life. This is the most effective way. So I think that one's kind of, you know, that's a TV example and a more extreme example, but generally what I think it is, it wasn't ever really the parents being like, um, this is what you need to do. You need to do it. It wasn't about discipline or reward. It was what I saw that worked with the families that worked really well was the parents were like, what do you want to achieve? Okay, you want to be a vet? Let's look at the steps of that. You need a high ATAR for that. You need this. You need to be studying this. Like these are the subjects you need to be doing, like really like applying logic to it and then being like, do you want help with this? Like, oh, is this where we're going to go? And making it seem like it's the child's idea. Being like, okay, well, you might need tutoring two times a week if that's what we want to do. And the kids think, yeah, I agree. So they feel that they've made that decision themselves. Mm. But it's hard to bring that into a family if you don't already have that established. Yeah, <laughs> it's that like near impossible. Yeah, it's, yeah. Just, it's, it's, it's yeah. almost... Uh, however you operate as individuals and then as a couple will essentially be what is instilled into the into the children. It's interesting that you say that those two were, were quite highly religious because, yeah, the the ones that I remember in my school, both primary and high school, that... Again, from the out, from an outsider's perspective, not not a complete outsider. I was friends with some of these people, uh, but without knowing the intimate details of their family life, they certainly seemed to exhibit a lot of those ideal family traits. Mm. And they were all, at least to some degree, religious and and Christian specifically. So um, there 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 might be something there. But having said that, I also can think of actually one of my best friends um, from from school that was uh heavily from a heavily anglican family and that family was uh had its issues we'll say that so don't know if there's a a direct correlation between you know the degree of religiosity and the and the level of attainment and achievement for the children because then at the same time you have very high achieving uh children from migrant backgrounds but uh they they are drilled to death (laughs) <laughs> there's no there's none of that yeah. sort of religious gratitude or love and i don't think they'd be giving away their pe- their presents like those girls so uh <laughs> you kind of yeah it, it seems like you're hitting both things with uh with a semi-religious upbringing if it's done in the right way if it's done with more on you know an emphasis on the sort of the love and the gratitude and the respect and rather than the sort of shaming people who are not part of our religion um but yeah, I, I just I find it very fascinating that uh, mm. say two parents, like two different sets of parents that maybe from similar economic backgrounds, maybe even have similar jobs, can just create very mm. different families 
you know, one family that is extremely high achieving and functional, if you want to put it that way, and and one that's uh, the complete opposite, extraordinarily dysfunctional. And a big Mm -hmm. factor obviously seems to be the relationship the parents have with each other, but from the outset, the sort of... um, the emotional relationship the kids have with uh, their responsibilities, their uh, rewards, the way they're treated by their parents, and if they feel that punishments are fair, or you know, if they're sort of even even handed or unfair, and just so it's just so much to think about. As a, do you think about this as a you're about to become a parent? All all the time, yeah. I think about it a lot in my work as well because it's easy to say that it all comes down to parenting and things, but children are really smart. I think a lot of it is like their own motivation, um, not motivated to be studious, but for example, like those, um, the religious girls I was talking about, they're motivated by their gratitude. They're so grateful for life that it's like they will do anything to contribute to society that's their view and then I think of you know my ex-boyfriend was school captain super high achiever really smart and he has literally picture perfect ideal family everyone would talk about how beautiful his family is blah 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 and his siblings um, all the same and for him it was that his father was extremely successful so he was motivated by being successful himself um but I do also think like it's not just about the parents in terms of what motivates them. Like I think of this boy I worked with who um, he was in the system and unfortunately he was expelled from multiple schools, lighting things on fire, um, (laughs) hurting children, breaking bones, a whole lot of things. He was a beautiful kid, uh, just had a really sad life and he went from school to school to school and was really struggling where they were saying like, we think we have to, this kid can't go to school and he's 12 years old. Like he's just gonna have to not go. And we tried one more time um, when I started working with him, I got him into the school. And at that point he didn't have foster family or anything. He was being looked after by youth workers 24 seven. So he didn't have a consistent adult on his life well, other than me. And his teacher was just an angel godsend from above. And she saw so much potential in this boy. And she really worked so hard on building his self-esteem that when he started the first few weeks, he barely went. He would smash in the windows with rocks. They had to shut the school down multiple times. And she never like expelled him. She didn't even punish him. She just said, like, I'm not going to let you ruin your chance. Like, let's get back here tomorrow. We'll try again. And it was that over and over and over again. Um, And eventually he ended up excelling, doing extremely well. Um, He stayed there the the whole year. He got his grades up. He got scholarships. He was in museums. Like, crazy things happened just because he had a teacher that believed in him. You were talking about the uh, the the guy you had who was in foster care um, Mm. in and out and and was quite uh, badly behaved to say the least, but then eventually he sort of turned it around. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. He, um, he was doing so well for himself finally after years and years and years of attempts of, you know, intervention on him. And it was truly because this one teacher spent so much of her time 
trying to build his self-esteem, build his confidence and making him believe that he has um, potential and like, you know, a future. And then what ended up happening was he turned his whole life around. It was really, really beautiful. But as soon as she stepped out um, or he graduated, it was year six, um, things kind of spiraled again downwards because high school didn't have that same level of support and motivation um it was like you did this wrong you're you're out you know that kind of thing so it was a story that turned really beautiful and then got sad again unfortunately um but what was really interesting i think to see though well he had no parents during that time um no foster family nothing just youth workers and it was purely just someone was reframing his belief in himself. And I know previously we've done um, podcasts on like ages ago on, you know, kids that kind of go down risky routes, especially with the internet and cybersecurity and phone usage and those kind of things. And we'd always talk about like, how do you help kids do this? Like, how do you prevent phone addiction or how do you prevent them speaking to strangers and things like this? And I would always be like early intervention, education, those kind of things, educating the at school, the kids, educating the uh, parents. But now I actually believe that the, the biggest key is a child's self-esteem because when you think about kids that have high self-esteem and they've got social groups and they're playing sports and doing things, they're much less likely to be spending all their hours online at 3 a.m. talking to random men or old people online and engaging in more risk-taking behaviors. So I actually saw um, a psychologist talking about the same thing as well, where his mother was saying, a child's mother was saying, like, how do I um, help my child? This, this, and this is going on. And he's like, what's the kid's self-esteem like? And she said, it's very low. Um, Very interesting. Mm. Do you think that's applicable to adults as well? Because I can't help but feel adults with low self-esteem seem to be the ones who are engaging in uh, self-sabotaging behavior. So it's a sad statistic, but often people who are lowest on the socioeconomic hierarchy tend to make the worst decisions with their money. So they're much more likely Mm -hmm. to gamble. They have really terrible saving habits and well, they just don't have adequate financial literacy. Uh, whereas uh, people who are well off tend to uh, partake in behaviors that will actually further increase their wealth or just uh, improve their financial situation. Similarly, you know, like people who are already into self-help and into um, bettering themselves will tend to sort of hang around other people that are like that. And as a result, the environment affects the behavior, but also just the, the how much one values themselves, I think, reflects in uh, how they uh, groom themselves, how they take care of their health, how they take care of their uh, their career, how ambitious they are, even just their living mm-hmm. conditions. Um, I have friends who, well, to, to put it lightly, have low self-esteem, at least it seems that way, and, and their, um, their room or their apartment is a total mess. And it tends to be the people that are high achievers also have uh, very clean living quarters and, and eat very well. And, and these are the sort of things, these are the sort of little behaviors that will just continually exacerbate that success. 
And and it's not just mm-hmm. about success. It's it's about um, just general happiness, gratitude, all of these things. It really does come down to self-esteem, doesn't it? Yeah, Valuable. self-esteem and and self-discipline. But the real question is which one comes first, you know? Um, chicken or the egg, it's kind of like that. It's a combination of both because there's people that have like the pristine homes and they eat really healthy and they go to the gym, like, you know, the ideal um, and do really well and have a lot of friends. It requires so much discipline as well. Um, so, so much discipline. So really interesting. Like there's, you know, that show um, that's on... Netflix at the moment, it's called uh, Snowflake Mountain. And I watched like half an episode, but basically it's these rich kids um, who have everything and they think that they're going on a hot reality TV show, but really they're getting sent to live in like the bush and to see how they cope. And it's really interesting to see how they all talk about themselves saying like, I'm really lazy um, and I'm just a lazy person. I don't like cleaning up after myself. I don't want anyone, I don't want to do this. I don't want to work, it's gross. But they're all really rich and look well after themselves. They've got a lot of money and they lack the discipline, but they have a crazy high self-esteem. It's like too high, basically, where they think they're better than everyone. So it's an interesting kind of balance between them both but I definitely think it's related like when you think about the advice you always give on our podcast you're always saying like basically the advice you're giving is always about bettering someone's self-esteem like exercise get out there um, get up and get dressed do this educate yourself read more those are things that build our self-esteem and I know for like my personal like transformation that I had when I was young and a teenager I had terrible self-esteem and I genuinely thought my life was so, so miserable and I thought so poorly about myself and about everyone around me and life just like fucking sucked Uh, until one day I was like, (laughs) what's the point of like thinking like this? Like honestly, there's nothing to help me. So I started pretending that I was confident. I started pretending blah, 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 that I had all my shit together. And it was, you know, fake it till you make it. It literally worked for me. Um, It was until I adopted it as my new personality. And that was when I went from, you know, basically almost dropping out of school to then going and finishing high school and studying eight years afterwards with multiple degrees and things like that, because I had just convinced myself that what's the point in (laughs) sitting here feeling sorry for myself? Um, Why don't I just be like this and decided to be like that. It's never that simple, but um, in a nutshell, that's what it was. It was my self-esteem the whole time. Isn't that funny? And you have a similar story too, kind of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of people have that sort of a story, but yeah. it's funny how you yeah, you really are faking it till you make it. A lot of people will look yeah. at some uh, others who are in a sort of enviable career or social position and think, oh, they've had it easy or they've you know, been given advantages, but, uh, and, and they may have, but uh, more often than not, they may have been in a similar lower situation and just through willpower and belief, they uh, were able to transform that. Now, again, that's, it's not available to everyone or it's not available to the, with the same accessibility to everyone, but coming back to the, the ideal family, do you think there's something there about the, the family unit having self-esteem the parents believing that this is a good family, that this is maybe not the perfect family, but their children are well-behaved and therefore acting in a way that uh, then just sort of manifests that sort of behavior in the children? 
or do you think absolutely yeah too far i think so no i think it's it's very much like that it's almost like how we how parents speak about their children is often how children perceive themselves and a lot of the families that i've had to work with that um there's a, a big disconnect between the kids and the parents is that the parents are using critical language in order to motivate their child like you know, you're not cleaning your room. You're not going to get anywhere in life if this is the way you're going to be. And they think they're being realistic, but the kids just learn, well, this is who I am now. I'm not going to get anywhere in life and I'm just a lazy piece of shit or whatever. But then the parents that are like, I, you're hilarious. You've got such a great sense of humor. Like you're so this and that. Um, it develops that child's identity. It's amazing how much children are influenced by what other people say about them and that's why you know psychologists usually use a strength-based approach with children and really just like pile on these compliments and not false compliments but just using their strengths um and identifying them and the kids build on that massively it's how we've seen like crazy transformation so i definitely think it's strongly influenced by that yeah yeah, and then do you think if there's also something that, say, if the oldest sibling acts a certain way, the younger ones will try to emulate that because, you know, that's their that's their environment, that's their close quarters, mm-hmm. and, 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 and you're going to be subsumed into the culture of that family unit more than anything probably, even in this day and age. You, you, the, the, the behaviours and norms that are, have been brought about from your family are probably the, those that will impact you the most. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I still have that. I believe that there is that kind of like older sibling trope, middle sibling, baby child trope. Um, But it's definitely like, I don't think they follow suit. I think they all have their own little identities based on the birthing order, which is interesting. But yeah, I think how your parents communicate, talk to you, or even just effective adults around you can really, really impact the trajectory of someone's life which is scary to think about like when you think about some people that just have children they don't know these things and they just can't help but get frustrated and say these things and not realize how that is literally forming someone's identity um and then kids that don't get brought up in a household where that's communicated to them they have to do that work themselves as adults and it's often not until they're probably our age where they're like, okay, this this is no longer benefiting me. I need to do this work. I need to unpack all this stuff. Like, you know, it's it's so, so much work. My friend, I've spoken about her um, here and there on this podcast, had a little bit of a, um, it wasn't abusive upbringing or anything, just, you know, critical parents, strongly critical and um, a bit verbally abusive and aggressive. And she now is, doing, you know, so much therapy and also physical health and trying to kind of better every single um, aspect of her life. And she has had to invest thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars and years of her time into this process just to get what could have been happened naturally or could have happened naturally should she have potentially had parents that were um, more nurturing and compassionate towards her. Um, so that's not to say, you know, like it's not that simple and straightforward and that we should let kids get away with everything like discipline and consequence is still really important and essential in a child's upbringing as well. But it's all kind of like a, 
balance between everything, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of a book that uh, first Jordan recommended to me called Why Him, Why Her, which uh, so this says that there's four main personality types that uh, are derived based on the primary hormone that's circulating in your brain. So people who are uh, majority serotonin-based are called builders and they uh, value consistency, routine, structure, etc., uh, people who are testosterone-based, they are directors and they are highly ambitious and usually have an obsessive mind and tend to either be extremely successful or, uh, well, the opposite. And uh, then there, there are people who are um, oxytocin-based, I, th- I think. No, sorry, not oxytocin. Maybe oxytocin-based and um, they're negotiators. And so they are feelings-based people and they love to sort of connect with other people and they connect through often talking about themselves and 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 through shared experiences and then there are uh explorers i believe who are sort of dopamine based and they uh they're very adventurous and uh, are, are often fun but in many ways op- uh, they differ to builders in that they don't like too much structure and rigidity and need to find new things to do and 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 new behaviors and new patterns and uh the book i believe said that two builders often make a very good relationship because it's two people who are quite structured and and forward you're thinking. a builder aren't you mainly you're a builder. 100%. yeah yeah it was builder yeah. director i think um yeah. and my girl friends i think she did that i think she was a builder as well or also builder right. director so so yeah which is good <laughs> we'll <Yeah>. see <laughs> but um yeah uh i gotta read that book it's it's, it's like the, and it's such a standard basis of like almost all um psychology tests and things like that it all comes down to those like four quadrants but i love that this book links it in with the hor- associated hormone that's so interesting yeah and there's a test as well i think if you just do the why him why her test if you google that it's 40 something questions and it's very interesting um it it helps you understand a lot about maybe why some relationships failed and who you might be best suited towards and and coming back to Mm. what we said in our last podcast when you're thinking more with your brain rather than your heart Mm. looking for the sort of attributes that may be uh, appropriate for your personality style and I, I would tend to think these sorts of perfect family archetypes are more on the builder side of things. So they, they're probably not the adventurous type of family that need to do something different or travel all the time or be living in a different house every couple of years. And they're usually uh, parents that are also building towards a goal themselves, but seeing it more as a family unit rather than just like, oh, hey, I've got my career goals and my wife's got her career goals and we just want mm. to instill those goals into our children. No, it's more, I, I would guess like, Hey, as a family unit, this is where we want to be and where we want to, you know, what, what we want to work towards and have probably set in the appropriate boundaries and patterns of behavior and steps to getting to that point. Mm. And, mm. uh, the thinking back again to the, kids at school that seemed to have those sorts of parents they were often they were just professionals you know they were they were doctors or 
lawyers oh no lawyers sometimes are quite overworked and and not necessarily the best parents but doctors always seem to make good parents um yeah usually just doctors <laughs> or or they'd run a small they wouldn't be like a, a major ceo or anything but they, i mean i didn't go to school with anyone whose parents were like that but they ran maybe say as a successful small or medium business someone like that um yeah it always seems to be those sorts of people yeah, I could see that. I think that a common, like, I guess a combination of any would be effective for parenting, but definitely building and definitely the negotiator, like the emotional type, um, I think would be such a combination when I think of like my family and other families. I know that, not that I was a high achiever family, my God, no, but you know, the kids that I know are, there was always the nurturer and who was always ready to listen and hear and negotiate the rules and boundaries and things like that. And then there was someone that was successful or very um, like task oriented. Like I was actually my, I was at my parents' house the other day and Adrian asked my dad, do you ever say, uh, <laughs> this is a weird question. <laughs> he said, do you ever tell your kids you love them? And my dad was like, oh, <laughs> like, no, um, <laughs> I don't do that. Like, cause he just is not a, uh, you know, love, loving language type words of affirmation, love you language. You write all those um, books on new age <laughs> spirituality and all of that. Yes, I know. And you know what though? Like he's, he's just not like that. And Adrian is the same as well. Still just words of affirmation. <laughs> yeah, still a boomer. But his love language is absolutely like um, acts of service. Yeah. And even still now, like my, my dad messages me like fucking, oh, sorry, I swear, four times a week, like with some kind of like business idea or something like, I think we should, you should do this course or I think this and like always, always putting in his effort. And that's how we grew up in my family. Like when I was a teenager, I used to get texts from dad in the group chat with my siblings being like first person to do a speech in front of 200 people gets $500 or something like that. Um, just very much using yeah, like his, like trying to inspire us and showing his love and time in that way, like using his skills, I guess, um, for that. Whereas my mom was very much like, the esteem builder and being like, you guys are so, you're so creative and you're so empathetic and blah, blah, blah. Everyone, you take everyone under your wing. Like that's kind of what she would always say um, to me during during my upbringing. But yeah, I think like there was no one way that was better than the other. In fact, I'm probably lucky to have a combination of the both. And I know people that have builder parents or what I think, I haven't read the book, but what I think of builder parents sometimes really desire and crave that kind of nurturing aspect but then i also know people that have two negotiators um or what i believe to be negotiators and are like have no structure and um no kind of task it's all about mm. emotions and feelings and compassion and then that's where it stops and no progress forward so <laughs> it's interesting yeah yeah definitely <laughs> yeah well uh that was a good little dive into the perfect family. I just, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I wonder if there's some good reading materials on this and uh, whether it's just a construct or, you know, if you want to sort of critically examine it that way or whether we're sort of just projecting our values onto other families and being insecure because, I, yeah, obviously every every family has their flaws, I suppose. 
but uh, it it just definitely it, it seemed quite demonstrable that there was there was some that just clearly were closer to that ideal than others and yeah it's, it sounds like it's just a combination of uh, many things so um, thanks for that and uh, I'm sure you'll you'll be thinking about this a lot in the next two three four months <laughs> so good luck I'm sure you yeah. I'm sure you and Adrian will uh, be pretty damn close to that perfect family so yeah oh um, that's nice Neil. <laughs> we'll see we'll see Who we'll knows? see Who knows? um yeah thanks again for listening guys we apologize for all the technical uh issues um and uh we'll be all good uh in the next one and we'll see you next time see you next week <laughs>